So, I was going to have one thing to say that would make your girlfriend really happy, Martin. Were you? I was going to be able to say that Harry Potter saved the day because you're on a new mic and we need books to prop it up, but Harry Potter actually failed. It's not good for everything. Not perfect in every situation. I'm sorry, Ashley, but you're wrong. Yeah, it wasn't wide enough. But then again, you have you have the paperbacks. Hardbacks might have worked. I don't know. Mm, why don't we just pretend that they wouldn't work and decide on that? Oh, okay. Because that's funnier to me. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> we will crush her spirit for yeah. the laws. So just to put it out up front, today we're going to do another book analysis episode. And uh, people who watch my YouTube channel may be familiar with this book because at one point, maybe six or seven months ago, I did a five lessons video on this book called The Productivity Project, which was written by my friend Chris Bailey, who has been on this podcast twice in some of the best titled episodes, I think, that we've done. Uh, One was called The Best Thing You Can Do for Your Productivity, and then one was aptly titled The Worst Thing You Can Do for Your Productivity. And I think that's one of the most popular episodes he wrote this book called The Productivity Project, which is based on his year of productivity project he did, where he spent an entire year doing as many productivity experiments as he could, researching as much about procrastination and habits and everything related to the topic that he could. And uh, you and I both read it. Yep. So we're going to impart some lessons that we learned. And just to tell you guys up front, the lessons in this list, at least my lessons, I don't know about yours, Martin, but mine are not repeats from the ones in that video. So if you did see that video, this is gonna have new stuff for you. And if you didn't see that video, you'll be able to go from this podcast episode over to that video and get some new stuff either way. Well, I make no such promise because I didn't watch that video. Wow. But uh, Are you telling me we'll you don't see. watch and fangirl over every single video that I make? I think that might create a weird a weird relationship between us. I'm gonna, no, every single person who works with me must be ingrained girl. in the Thomas Frank cult of personality. Uh, I don't even watch anyone's videos. I need to be like... I don't watch any videos. Someday we're going to have a giant corporate building with a giant bronze statue of me like fighting a dragon or something in the Yeah, in well, the my foyer. statue is going to be platinum. Oh, damn it. That's yeah. much better than bronze. What's up? I should have seen that coming. Yep. <laughs> you lose. <laughs> uh, okay. So this is the first episode that will be going up on the podcast YouTube channel on the same day that it goes live on the regular feed. We are synchronized. We are synchronized. And I wanted to take that opportunity to talk about some changes that we're making to the podcast because one thing that I actually anticipated would happen, but that has been happening is that we've been getting more feedback on the YouTube channel than we typically do in any other way regarding the podcast. And I think that's just due to the nature of YouTube. Because most people who listen to the regular feed are listening on their phones or they're just listening in some way that doesn't really facilitate feedback and comments all that well. Yeah. Um, And the YouTube videos are different because even though they're still audio only for the most part, people have to be on the YouTube page. They're probably sitting on the YouTube app on their phone or they're on their computer and we've been getting comments. And um a common thread among the comments is that, hey, can you get into the topic of the episode faster than you guys do? So, whoops, whoops indeed. Um, let so me, let's talk about that for 10 minutes. Let's, yeah, let's talk let's about, that, talk about that concept. I do want to talk about it briefly. So the reason that I structure this podcast in the way that I do is that for me, part of the purpose of the podcast is to dig deep into topics that I don't cover on the channel or in depth more on topics that I've already covered 
And I like to impart lots of information that I learn in the podcast. But the podcast is also a medium in which you get to feel like you're hanging out with people. And that's why I listen to podcasts personally. And that's why I listen to shows like Cortex and Hello Internet and sorts of just the kind of podcasts where it's like a couple of guys just talking and having fun. And I listen to some like video game podcasts, which are ostensibly topical, but are also just fun conversations. So for me, that was like a big reason for making this podcast. Um, And I think that really showed itself in the past 20 or so episodes we've done, which have been like those three question episodes. They were a lot more casual, a lot shorter. And while they still had a lot of information in them, there's obviously a lot of banter. But I realized, and maybe you agree with this, that there is a slight disconnect between that style of a show and the way that we market the show. (laughs) Because... Um, Is there? Well, in contrast to shows like Hello Internet or Cortex, where the episode titles aren't really that informative. Like, I think the the last episode title on Cortex was Parade of Failures. And it's just a fun little phrase that's from the episode... It kind of gives you a little bit of information, but not much. And you kind of like the expectation going into a show like that is, yes, it's going to be Mike and Gray just talking, you know, having a fun conversation and maybe I'll learn something. Whereas our show is kind of built the opposite way where we title an episode like here's how to get better grades or how to improve the quality of your sleep. And for a long time, that's kind of what the show was. And then because I loved these more conversational types of podcasts, it morphed into a very banterful show while still retaining like the titling and marketing that we've always had. Yes. So now that we've moved to Denver and this is the first episode that we're recording in Denver, actually. Hello from Denver. Hello. Um, I want to get back to our roots and that doesn't mean I want to sacrifice all the banter because I definitely like it and I definitely like keeping the show lighthearted. And for me, like I couldn't do this show if it was nothing but information. If that was if that was all we were doing, I would just make more videos. Yeah. But I like having fun conversations and just getting a chance to hang out. And I think a lot of people, and you can look at the reviews on iTunes, agree with that. They like having some banter. But I think we need to, to like dial it back a little bit and find a happy medium. So that is what we're going to try to do. And uh, this episode is... Um, actually, I would say last week's episode is sort of in that vein because it was about one topic moving to a new city yeah. and we covered just that topic. And even though we didn't get into it super fast, like I think it was moving in the right direction. We're going to try to keep that, that direction moving even more forward. Yeah. And for the record, that wasn't grammatically correct. This is meta banter. <laughs> this is meta banter. You can't criticize banter. meta banter. Yeah. Unless you criticize it in a meta way. Yes. And good luck doing that. Unless of course you listen to neutral Mick hotel, which I'm guessing you're probably good. Yeah. Well-equipped. Meta for the, skills. The meta- <laughs> yeah. And uh, on that side note, we should talk about metacognition at some point because that's a pretty cool topic. But anyway, let's talk about this book. Yes. So because we, we're still going to try to shoot for a half an hour for each show, we may not actually keep it within that time limit each time, but that's like our goal. Um, I decided to do three lessons each from this book instead of four or five that we did for the last book. And we'll see how well that does. Yeah, time to figure out how bad at time estimation we are. (laughs) Yeah, and this book is much fresher in your mind, right? Because you just finished it. Yeah, I finished it maybe two or three days ago. Okay, what are your overall thoughts on it? A pretty cool book. Yeah, I liked it. I thought that this book... Okay, so I guess... Have you read anything like Getting Things Done or Eat That Frog or any of those general productivity books before? Me neither. 
and I said as much in my five lessons video, I'm not an expert by any means when it comes to like the general productivity book space. So I can't tell you how it stacks up to other books, but having read more in-depth and focused books like The Power of Habit, I thought this book was a really good overview of a lot of the topics that that productivity kind of is an umbrella for. Yeah. So in my mind, if you want to become a more productive person, this is like a really good general overview that's going to give you a lot of tastes of different topics. Yeah, it's like a good starter kit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the personal MBA for productivity a little bit. Though the personal MBA is even more overviewish. Well, yeah, an MBA is big. So in order to fit it into a book, yeah, it has to be very overviewish. Well, I don't even think that the personal MBA is like actually an MBA replacement. I think yeah, that's marketing, but, but it is a very good book even so. I think it would be very hard for us to discuss that book on the podcast like in a full episode. Because like say you pick three lessons each, there's like 400 in that book. Oh, <laughs> well. Or something like that. Yes. I, that's almost like a reference book that's that you big. read just to get a overview of everything in business. But this is different because this is, it's, you know, divided into chapters and he goes in depth on a lot of different problems that people have with productivity, whether it be procrastination or overcomplicating your life or dealing with maintenance tasks or, you know, managing your energy, all that kind of stuff is detailed in this book, which is why I like it a lot. But enough of my chattering. What's your first lesson, dude? My first lesson, which is kind of like uh, one of the first things that he talks about in the book, one of the thesis, it's like the thesis of the book maybe, mm -hmm. is that productivity is not just about how you manage your time. It's about how you manage your time, attention, and energy. Because we used to be, uh, for a period, we were in the time economy when we started having factories. Time was directly productivity. How many hours you spend on the assembly line? There's a standard amount of things you've accomplished in those hours mm. by virtue of it being an assembly line. But now we're in the knowledge economy where you're asked to do more complicated things that require critical thinking and problem solving. And one hour may not be just as valuable as the next hour. So therefore, time management is only a tiny piece of the puzzle because if, if say, I'm super exhausted or I'm sick and I'm like, I'm going to work an extra three hours because I got to finish this, I'm probably not going to get three hours worth of real work done mm -hmm. because my attention and energy have been harmed. So it's about balancing and managing all three of those things if you want to get real things done. So given that, what are some specific things that you think you could change in the way that you structure your routine or the way that you manage your time, given that attention and energy are just as important? Well, I think that one thing is I have a in my in my routine that I've been doing, I have certain tasks split up by things to help uh, recenter my attention. So in between two different books, maybe I'm reading in Spanish and then I'm reading in English and I mm -hmm. want to separate them. Maybe I'll meditate or I'll go for a walk in between to kind of disconnect from one so that I can then focus my attention on the next because otherwise the overlap of the two stories might get weird. And if, I, if it's really late in the day and there's something I haven't finished yet, I could say, I'm going to stay up really late and I'm going to get this done. But if I'm being honest with myself, if I got a good night's sleep and ate some good stuff and drank some water, woke up, I could probably do it in like a half hour instead of the several hours of barely alive focus that I would give it at the middle of the night. Mm. And um, I'm also exercising before a good portion of my important work okay. because I know that that wakes me up. Uh, what's your exercise routine like now? It is you've moved like here and you're doing very it. incredibly basic. Okay. Um, I'm still curious. Body 
body exercises, push-ups and sit-ups and this pull-up replacement thing I'm using on the deck and uh, walking up a lot of flights of stairs. Are you just like doing the stairs? I just take the elevator down and then I walk back up and then I say, wow, I'm out of shape. Nice. So that's pretty convenient. But mm-hmm. let me tell you, two years of being injured did not help my muscles grow. Is that weird? It's It feels weird. No, it's not weird. I'm dead. No, you should have stayed beefcake the I'm, whole time. I'm starting from scratch, Your body's essentially. Weird. <laughs> but it's, it's real basic. But even afterward, I feel so much more alert. Yeah. Than, and, and those hours after that are just better. So the important work, the creative work, needs to be placed in the hours where I can function. And if it's 2.30 to 4.30, that's usually when I'm dead. It's the afternoon. It's not that great for me. I shouldn't be wasting those hours sitting there going, man, I, no, I'm, I'm working. I'm doing it. I'm working on it, but I'm, I'm really not doing anything because I can't think. Yeah. So you can't like put so much emphasis on one resource, time, attention, or energy that you sacrifice the other ones. Yeah. There's like these constantly shifting bars for each one and the way or the activities that you do or the way you plan things or the ordering will shift them all. And there's kind of an optimal middle for all of them where you want to be. Yeah, and look at the tendency for for even just uh, students. Look at the tendency for all-nighters in front of an exam. Yeah. When there are just tons of things where they're like, hey, did you know that that is actually going to screw up your exam and you'd do better to sleep well before? Mm -hmm. Because also that helps cement your memories and all the things you've been studying. But it's, it's because we have the misconception that all of the hours are created equal. Yeah, and they're not. They're just not. And it's not like there's this... Well, the book does talk about something called biological prime time, which I made a video about and I made a tool for for figuring out what it is that we can link to in the show notes. But I don't think it's limited to just that where your your body and what is it called? Your chronotype is set in a certain way and you have certain hours that are better for working than others. I think it also goes on a more day-to-day basis where one day maybe you've exercised, maybe you're nourished, maybe you're well-rested, so these hours are going to be much better than another day where you didn't get as much sleep or you were stressed out because of some family thing. It's always going to be different based on the circumstances and inputs. Yeah, and imagine maybe you work, maybe you keep working weekends and you never get a break. Yeah. You're going to burn out. Your attention, your energy are dead, so the next next bit of your work doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Though I do got to say, you mentioned... Um, all-nighters being bad and in general i do agree well frequent all-nighters but i remember a couple of all-nighters that were really productive and they stick in my memory so i feel like sometimes you can break those rules but in at least uh according to the memories my brain is giving me the all-nighters that i've done that have been successful have always been because of some project i was really passionate about and really interested in Never yeah. because I just had to get something done. Well, your excitement refocused your energy and your attention. And he, yeah. even, he even says in the book, sometimes it's worth it mm-hmm. to cut one of these things and to pay the price because your your return is going to be better right. actually than balancing it. But let's say you're you're pulling all-nighters all the time. You're probably ruining yourself. Yeah, that's you true. You would do better to not. Like I've, I've pulled an all-nighter to finish a huge project and it was awesome but it was a one-time project after which I knew I could sleep again. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing I'd like to mention to kind of tie a bow on this lesson is we often talk about how the quest for perfection can actually hurt you. Um, I think trying to perfect that balance can hurt you as well. Yeah. Where, you know, even if, even if you know, like I can't have a perfect schedule because I also have to mention or manage my attention and energy. um, Even like 
going to like the next meta level, like trying to perfectly balance your time, attention, and energy, that could also be unproductive because sometimes there are just circumstances where say you are absolutely passionate and crazy interested in one thing. So you do an all nighter and maybe that is objectively better. Yeah. But then again, you wouldn't want to be doing it all the time. Yeah. You can't overmanage yourself, whether it is your time, attention or energy, but, Mm -hmm. but just in general, you shouldn't always be sacrificing some for just time because it seems so obvious to work a couple extra hours and not Mm -hmm. think about the costs. I think it's all about principles but then asking yourself in the context of what you're working with, of the, the, you know, the individual event, does this principle apply? Yeah. It should usually apply, but not always. There's a game I play on my iPad sometimes called Reigns, uh, and in it you play as the king of a small country, and the gameplay is a lot like Tinder almost, where you're presented with a choice and you swipe left or right pretty much to say yes or no to it, um, or to choose one option or the other. And then there's these four bars. You have your army, your treasury, your population's health, and then like the power of the church. And every decision will influence at least one of those bars, but usually two. And um, if any of those bars goes to zero, you lose. And if any of those bars goes to full, you lose. So it's all about maintaining balance among Mm -hmm. all of them. But I've learned through playing that game, like based on the situations it might be worth it to let my treasury get really close to zero because I need to, I need to make sure the church doesn't become too powerful or I need to make sure the population and the army are balanced and I can kind of see a trend of what's coming. Yeah. And I still fail a lot in that game, but I've learned like you can't keep all the bars perfectly balanced and even all the time. It's impossible because of the context. And I've been thinking of like making a dumb video about this for a while. Cause I think it's a good metaphor <laughs> for life. Like there's always some contextual situation yeah. well, that's going to so screw many your balance up, right? There's a lot of triangles, they're like sleep and a social life <laughs> and good grades. There, there are so many like those little triangle sets where they're like pick two. Yeah, exactly. So uh, my next lesson from this book, and I realize we're, we're this probably will not be half an hour. No, no, I had, no but that's okay. Honestly. I think this is this is good so far. Um, so in my most recent video, as of this recording, which was about um, how to motivate yourself in the morning, I talked about something called the rule of three. And he talks about the rule of three in this book. And in fact, he has an entire chapter about it. So I wanted to go more in depth about what the rule of three is. So the rule of three is essentially a productivity technique. It's a planning technique that helps you think of what you're going to accomplish in simple and clear terms. And it's something that he read about from the book, Getting Results the Agile Way, which was written by Microsoft's Director of Business Programs, J.D. Meyer. And uh, basically the rule is at the beginning of the day when you're planning out your day or at the end of the day, if you tend to plan your next day the night before, which I recommend, you fast forward to the end of the day and then you ask yourself, what three things do I want to have accomplished when this day is over? And then you write those three things down. And then he also adds that you should do the same at the beginning of every week. So for him, the rule of three is have three things that you want to accomplish by the end of each day and also have three bigger things that you want to have accomplished by the end of the week. And those three things on the day basis should probably feed into those larger three weekly goals. Yeah. So and he he did mention that he was doing this. And at first he had some problems nailing down the scope of the three things that he would write down because at first they were too small. So he would easily overshoot them. And then next he would overshoot and make them too ambitious. So he'd fail. But eventually he started to realize 
how much time, attention, and energy he had, and he was able to more accurately put down three things that he could accomplish, but that were still challenging. And the example he gave in the book was uh, for the day that he was writing that chapter, number one, finishing finishing the rule of three chapter, which is very meta. Yeah. <laughs> number two, clearing out his email inbox and only checking email twice throughout the day. And then number three, organizing everything he needed to get a U.S. tax number. And to me, that looks like a perfectly good and reasonable plan for the day. I have dealt with business taxes stuff. You think it's going to take 10 minutes or so and then it takes two hours. Yeah. Because you have to call like some lady in a department and you have to go through 15 people to get to her. And then the online form breaks and everything is terrible and you hate your life. That's so that basically awesome. takes half your day. <laughs> and then clearing out the email always takes way longer than you think. And writing books takes a long time too. So, But I think that's a good challenging um, list of things right there. And then he also mentioned that he liked to have a another list of three personal things to get done each day. And these are more fun things like have a tea tasting with his girlfriend later or like finish his Christmas list. So that way he wasn't just focusing on work with his planning. So I like this a lot because again, it lends clarity to what you want to accomplish. And it also forces you to not just like throw a zillion things at your task list. And I know this from experience when I have a ton of things on my task list, it's overwhelming. It is hard to choose what to work on because I'm not really sure what is important. And also there's always stuff that comes up in the middle of the day that I didn't plan for. And if I have a mile long task list and then something else comes up, like Anna needs something from me or I happen to need to go to the store for something or the maintenance guy shows up and I have to help him because I don't know, he doesn't have a hammer drill and I, I happen to have one, like it can just derail me. But if I have three things, and I don't think three is a magical number, but it, it it works for this purpose. If I just have three things, it's easier to get back on track and know, all right, this is still the focus for the day. I'm going to get back to this. And he does, he, he kind of defends three as a number pretty well in the book. My only defense for three, if you're like trying to figure out why you should use that number, is that from the reading I've done, like human working memory is kind of limited to four chunks and three fits within that so you can easily rattle off what you're doing you don't have to really refer back to your list if you don't want to so it just sticks in your brain very easily but it's enough items that it's not just you know two things yeah so well, i think three is not two that's true three is not two that's deep that's a big lesson here big lesson know? big lesson <laughs> <laughs> so yeah rule of three that is uh, my first lesson what's your next one dude okay lesson number two and this one's gonna hit home tom so get ready don't check email don't do this to me. unless you have the energy to actually go through it. Don't do this to me. Right. So <laughs> I, I thought this was really interesting. He had found a study that found in the majority of email sessions, users were simply checking their email without acting on it. Yeah. Which is a complete waste of time in, unless you're expecting something really important and you're probably sticking a bunch of extra to-dos in your brain and then not finishing them. And we've mm -hmm. talked before about open and closed-loop things where you're distracted by stuff you haven't finished. So if you check your email, like, right before bed, just just because, and there's a really <laughs> important email, and you're like, oh, God, I've got to answer that tomorrow, now you've just distracted yourself, and you can't do anything about it, and it's just going to slightly hinder your ability to go to sleep well. And, yeah. And you didn't gain anything. You didn't get anything from it. And then same thing with physical mail. If I get my mail, flip through them and go... Oh, a bank thing. I'll look at that later. Oh, this. I'll deal with that later. Why Why not just deal with it now in 30 seconds? 
only only touch these things once or else they've become two to-dos. One, go through your mailing list and don't do anything. Two, go through it again and do something. <laughs> the, the first one was a complete waste of time and attention. Shots fired, Martin. Yeah, shots fired. But you're wrong. I do get something from it. I get anxiety and stress. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's your goal, then congratulations. You found a great way. But no, you're right. Uh, was it deep work that talked about attentional residue or was it something it, else? It might have been deep work. I, in fact, I can't remember. I'm almost certain that book did talk about it, but I don't know that it's the main thing that I heard about it from. But I, I just really like that there was a study that was like, yeah, most people aren't doing anything. They're just they're just refreshing it for no reason. Yeah, I think and this is speaking about myself as much as it is about people in general. We want a little injection of novelty we want to feel like we're important or that there's people reaching out to us. Or we want just like something new that kind of interrupts the boringness of whatever yeah, we're doing. news. Ooh, so, something new happened. Yeah. For, I mean, for me, to be honest, when I check my email half the time, it's like the same as checking Reddit. I just want to see something new. And then I know this in my head. Nothing really good is going to come of it because most emails are just like, I got to deal with that later. Even if it's cool, like you still have to answer it and it takes a bunch of attention and energy and I'm usually not in the position to sit down and do it. Yeah. So I'm, I've learned this lesson too, and I am taking steps to fix it. Um, the big thing I'm doing right now is I am like doubling down on the importance of the first thing I do in each and every workday is write. Because I've realized that writing is the core of my business. It is what is the starting point for almost everything important that I produce, whether it be a podcast or an article or a video, it starts with writing and getting thoughts out of my head and crystallized. So after I do my morning routine, which concludes with reading, I go write. And after I finished writing, I'm not sure yet if it's going to be an amount of time or if I need to do like a certain amount of words on a topic, or if I need to get to like a rough draft status on a script or something, then I can go do something like email. And it may take on more structure as well. Maybe it's twice a day checking it like Chris does. I'm not sure. Yeah. Whereas you know. if, you, if you wake up and like so many people, you're like, ooh, new day, new mm -hmm. novelty. What's on my email? And and you just maybe distracted all the cool creative thoughts that just came from your sleep with this big, oh, oh, no, I've got to meet with my lawyer today about some, some nonsense paperwork that yeah. is, of course, complicated because that's how it works. Yay, lawyers. And your writing will probably suffer for it. Yep. That's very true. Okay. Well, Martin, I could tell that this lesson was for me. Yep. So thanks for the tough love. That was a present. <laughs> uh, so my second lesson in quotes is actually three ideas. So there's a chapter in the book called Cozying Up to Ugly Tasks, and it's about procrastination. Now, most of this chapter is about some research that's been done, which identifies certain triggers, traits of different tasks that he calls procrastination triggers. And these are aspects of a task that can increase the likelihood that you're going to procrastinate on it. And I talked about these in the video, but just to quickly review them, basically, and this is according to research from Tim Pitchell, who's the author of Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, if a task is boring, frustrating, difficult, unstructured, or ambiguous, lacking in personal meaning, or lacking in intrinsic rewards, like it's not fun or engaging, um, any of those traits is going to make this the particular task you're looking at more procrastination worthy. So the main idea of this chapter is identify the triggers that are inherent in any task that you're procrastinating on, and then try to tackle them. So if it's boring, maybe go to your favorite cafe to work on it, or work on it with a friend, 
or if it's unstructured, make a detailed plan of attack before you start so you kind of know what you're doing. But he ends that chapter with three additional ideas that I wanted to share here. And these are things that are kind of unrelated to those triggers, but that can help you procrastinate a little less or at least use your procrastination time more effectively. So the first one was to create a procrastination list. And what he means by this is have a list of high return tasks that you can work on when you find yourself procrastinating on a main task and just can't get started. And the example he gave was that he often procrastinates on reading through long, tedious research papers that have scientific data about productivity-related topics. So when he finds himself doing that and he just can't get himself to do it, he's got this list of stuff to do that's still higher return, maybe not as high a return as the actual task, but still useful, and he'll go work on one. So in the list that he gave in the book, there was sending important emails to like his publishing agent or speaking clients, um, organizing his computer folders or tracking project expenses. And he also mentioned that you could like star one and basically give yourself a choice between the big thing you're procrastinating on or one thing from the list. And that's at least a way to push yourself into something that is productive, even if you don't actually work on the procrastinating task. Yeah. So you got a backup task. Yeah. Now I'm curious, what do you think about that? Because you usually my tool for overcoming procrastination is like throwing myself into it or just like doing a Pomodoro session. But I guess I could see from a really realistic perspective, I could see the usefulness in this tip because there are definitely times when I don't actually do a Pomodoro session and I just actually procrastinate. Yeah. I, and I think most people could agree with that. I think it definitely depends on on the situation you're in. So sometimes I have the wrong energy for a certain kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I just know that no matter what, I'm too, I'm too something for this. Like yesterday until I, I just, I was, I wanted to focus. I wanted to sit down and do research. Yeah. But when I sat down, I was like, I'm really mentally focused, but I'm also filled with physical energy right now, and I can't stand sitting here. It's the worst oh, thing ever. Yeah. I'm going to go do something else because no matter what, I am going to be all jittery and unfocused here because I want to be moving, and I don't want to sit at a laptop all day. Yeah. And no matter what I did sitting there, it wasn't going to do anything until I did something to get rid of the energy, and that was it. And I ended up hacking that by making a makeshift standing desk and kind of walking around and, and like taking steps back and forth while I typed and stuff. Okay. And that helped. But if I had had something different to do, like if it was early in the morning and I could have just went and exercised or something, I would have gladly done that first and then come back with the right mind state. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But it, sometimes you're going to know if you're just being, you're just trying to put it off forever. Yeah, it's true. I do want to ask, because I have like an actual standing desk, what did you do to create your makeshift one? Well, um, so my living room floor is messed up. <laughs> it uh, has some water damage. Yay, water damage. And uh, I need to. I was waiting for it to dry, and then they're going to send in a carpenter and lots of stuff like that. Yay. But because of that, my bookshelves are all kind of crammed into my office area, which kind of also sucks. But because of that, I stuck my laptop on its on its little roof stand, onto my bookshelf, which was conveniently right behind me, and then I put the keyboard on the bookshelf, which is conveniently at only a little higher than I'd want a standing desk, and then I I used that. Wait, did you... I thought your bookshelf was, like, really short. Or do you have a taller one than Ashley does? Uh, They're about the same height. Actually, I'm just thinking in terms of a taller person. (laughs) You're taller than me. Okay, that makes sense. It wasn't the perfect setup, 
but it was but it, works. it was decent. Okay, enough for being cramped in an office with furniture that shouldn't be there. Please fix my floor. But that's you know that's <laughs> we'll life. send this podcast that's to the life, carpenter. So, yeah, we'll send this to the carpenter on Easter, like on Easter weekend. Really indirect plea that's this for weekend, right. I feel like it is for expediency. Hey, listen to thirty-two minutes into this podcast because we're begging you to come fix the floor faster. Yeah. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> it happens. Sometimes a valve breaks. It does happen. Whoops. You can't predict that. But it did give me a makeshift standing desk, which made me realize that sometimes that might help. It's true. Yeah. yeah. When Before I got this standing desk, uh, and I ordered this standing desk because I was having some back problems from sitting in a really bad chair. I just went out in our kitchen when we were still at the, uh, at the Iowa house, and I just put my computer on the counter and made like a weird standing desk out of that. And I stacked the monitors on top of books. So it was at oh, eye level yeah. and that worked. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. Yeah. So bonus tip, it turns out standing desks are kind of nice if you have a lot of energy and you hate sitting down at a computer all day. Yeah. I can't, I can't, can't do it. For me to, to mitigate that back problem. And I've actually learned that, um, even with this like nicer chair, it doesn't, it will come back if I sit too long on the computer. It just will. So if I spend a good amount of the day walking, either walking to different work areas or doing cardio in the morning or something, and then like doing some exercises and making sure to stand while I work sometimes, that keeps it good. Yeah. Which is why this was a very good investment for me. Uh, so he has a couple of other lessons that he shared at the end of that chapter. The second one was to sit down and list the costs of putting the project off. So if you can crystallize and externalize the price you will pay by procrastinating, you will be less likely to do it. And mm-hmm. I think that makes sense to me. Who Beeminder crystallizes it real good. Oh my God, yeah. You know what? I got charged 30 bucks the other day. Really? Beeminder, yeah. Because what have you done? for like two and a half years, I have had a goal in Beeminder to publish two blog posts a week. And... I mean, people who follow the YouTube channel will know because of moving and other reasons. I didn't get a video out for like five weeks, which meant the only posts going up on the site were podcast episodes once a week. Uh oh. And eventually, all of that extra buildup of posts I had to keep me above the yellow brick road and be minder tanked, and I got charged 30 bucks. And because I've been using that goal for two years, I don't check it very often. I just, it has just been running <laughs> in the background. So I was like, huh. Yeah, I should probably get some blog posts going back up on the site. <laughs> on the other hand, two years without really thinking about it because you were clearly doing it. That's pretty cool. That is true, yeah. Um, and I'm still figuring out exactly how I want to tackle getting more blog posts written because my main thing is that I want to get podcasts out, clearly, and I'm recording those, uh, but also videos. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'm not sure how blog posts will be written because I've got some other big projects coming up. Anyway, the last idea in the second lesson we have lists within lists, uh, is to just get started. And he says very specifically that he did not say just do it, but just get started. Because the one of the biggest problems with procrastination is you look at the task and it looks daunting. And your brain tells you like, you have to finish that. So just never do it because it's too hard. But if you just throw yourself in and say, I'm just gonna spend five minutes messing around with this or getting something on the paper or just getting some details or initial thoughts thrown out, that can get you into the flow of working. And even if it doesn't, it still helps you make a bit of progress. And this is probably the most helpful thing for me when it comes to procrastination. If I'm not writing, I'll open up Cold Turkey Writer and I'll just put like 
five minutes into the time limit thing or 500 words into the word limit thing and then hit go. And from that point onward, I can't do anything else on my computer until I hit that goal. You know, and 500 words isn't a full script and it's usually, maybe it's 100 words of that is like, I hate writing, this is dumb. Yeah. And this will never go up on my channel. Make sure you delete that but later. But there's something there at the end of that session. I've made some progress. So regardless of whether I keep working, I've done something. Yeah. And you know, that's actually, it's like a Pokemon episode I saw recently. Honestly, that's the first thing it made me think of because really? at the end of it, one of the characters, Serena, is like, planning too much is not going to help. I just have to keep going. And I, I did, I'd watched it in Spanish. So if that's not literally what she says in English, I'm sorry, but it was more or less that. Okay. But that's what you made me think of. And I was inspired. Productivity tips from Pokemon. Yep. <laughs> that reminds this me. This is real life. I did a life lessons from Pokemon post back in like 2011. Yeah, I remember that. And it went sort of viral. It, it was the most viewed post on the site for like a day. Yeah. But it was one of those posts that like just gets viral for one day and then doesn't really stick around because it's kind of a gimmick post. But it was fun to write. Yep. So let's move on to your last lesson here. and Number then, uh, three. Yeah. Here we go. Now this is a big one. Okay. And I've had to reteach it to myself sometimes. Don't take productivity too far. Oh, no. What do you mean by that? Well, don't get too wrapped up in your productivity systems because feeling productive is not the same thing as being productive. And mm. the most interesting part about this lesson that I found in this book was that he says that research shows that the simple act of making a to-do list makes you less likely to get work done because creating the list simulates getting work done, even though you didn't accomplish anything. Okay. And that is kind of along the same lines <laughs> of why you shouldn't talk too much about goals you're working on. If you like brag too much and get excited and you get all the credit for it and you feel like, yeah, I am the kind of person who accomplishes those things, then you don't have to prove that you are. But, mm. but essentially, don't get so wrapped up in planning everything, kind of like what I was just talking about with that Pokemon thing, that you don't actually make any progress. So the way I've been dealing with this and I've dealt with this before, so I have some old solutions and some current ones, is that I try to I try to commit to short-term goals. Like right now, I've committed to my current language routine for this month. Okay. I have a day marked on my Google Calendar, the last Sunday of the month, because I plan on Sundays, and it says, now consider what you've been doing. How are your commitments going? Is it interfering with other stuff? But until then, I do not get to question it. Mm. I just do things unless there's like an emergency and it's super messing something up. And this is helpful because otherwise every other day I'm going to come up with a new best long-term plan. And if you come yeah. up with a new long-term <laughs> plan more than once every long term, it it's not really a long-term plan. It's very true. Yeah. Everything that hasn't been taken care of in the short term goes away because you've made a new long-term plan. Yeah, it doesn't do anything. So then you're like, I'm going to do this on Tuesday. But then on Tuesday, you're busy. So you're like, actually, I think those should be Wednesdays. And then on Wednesday, you're busy. So then you decide the new system is to do it on Thursday <laughs> and you do nothing. So also on a, on a smaller scope, if I have changes I want to make to a weekly routine, I also tend to write that on a list and look at it on Sunday. And yeah. it doesn't get to happen until next week. Otherwise, you won't do anything. You can cheat yourself out of work. And you won't even know because you'll feel so productive. You did what you said you'd do today every day. Exactly. So I have to ask you, since you said something compelling, like research shows writing a to-do list makes you less likely to work. How do you reconcile that? Because clearly a to-do list will help to structure your day. And we talked about oh, the rule yes. of three, which is kind yeah, of so a to-do list. you should not have a to-do list. So how do, you, how do you get 
beyond that? Or how do you deal with that? I, th- I think that making your list once, like setting up a specific time where you do make the list mm-hmm. and not letting it leak into other stuff like I'm trying to do. So say if you if you have monthly goals and that's how you structure your work or if you have weekly goals, pick, say, the last Sunday of the month or just pick Sunday or pick a different day. Sunday works for me. Maybe it doesn't work for you. Pick a day and say, this is the day right here where I plan out my to-dos. And then on the rest of your days, you can have your your three most important things. You can have small ones, mm-hmm. but make your list once. Don't make 10 lists a day. You're probably not going to accomplish them. You can accomplish maybe one list a day. So make one list and then just don't mess around with other lists in, until you've done a good amount of something or at least specify certain hours of the day or something. Cool. And the one idea I'd add to that is make your daily list the night before. Oh, yes. Do it right before you go to bed because my experience with doing that is that you make the list, you go to bed, and you wake up kind of feeling beholden to your past self, but also it's a new day. You've reset everything, and whatever feeling of accomplishment you got from writing down that to-do list is kind of erased by the fact that you went to sleep and now you've gone through your morning routine. So now you're in a new day. And your willpower reserves are at full and you haven't really accomplished much of anything other than your morning routine, which should push you into your work. But now it's time to get to work. You know what you need to do and you can just jump right in. That's a good idea because also you'll feel good and productive right before you go to bed. Yeah, absolutely. you made your list then and then in the morning you just got to work. But that's it. You make the list and you do not question the list for a certain <laughs> amount of time. You just need to do the work. Go into robot mode and do your work. Yep. Or else you'll make lists forever and... You will be sad. What if your job is making lists, though? That's... What if you work for BuzzFeed? Uh-oh. Boom. Well, you know what? Let's let's get a BuzzFeed person on the <laughs> podcast. How do you handle making so many lists? I don't know. I make a list of my lists. I make a list of my lists, and then a list of those lists, and then yeah. a list of those lists, and then I put them all in Trello, and then I put my Trello boards into Asana links for no reason. <laughs> I'm reading The Big Short right I'm now. Organized. And... This is just like reminding, this is basically what Wall Street did. Uh Uh-oh. They would like make loans and like take a bunch of those loans and put them into a bond and then take a bunch of those bonds, put them into like a big bond group and then take a bunch of those bond groups and put them into another weird bond thing. Yay. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's turtles all the way down is is what I'm trying to say. It's turtles and those turtles are money. Yep. Money turtles. Well, they are green. They are green. And my friend, uh, that's true. They aren't always green, but most of the time. Okay. I picture them as green. Fair. But I guess sometimes they're like brown or even yes, blue wait, sometimes. We're talking about, what are we talking about? Turtles now? Yeah. I don't even remember. We were talking about oh, lists. lists upon lists, lists upon and lists, lists upon and lists. lists. Racks on racks on racks and such. Yeah. We're going to need an exhibit to help us with this. Yes. I got one more lesson though before we wrap this up. And the lesson that I would like to wrap this podcast up with is uh, the concept of maintenance days. So Chris actually did an experiment during his year of productivity project where he decided that he was going to do no maintenance tasks or at least as as few as possible because he was annoyed with the fact that he constantly had to shower, clean up his apartment and do all these little tiny things that had a low return. Did he include showering in the no maintenance tasks? So what he did was he would shower like every three days and like let laundry pile up and not do it as much and he wouldn't clean up very much. And he said that after like half of a week went by, he felt really terrible and productivity totally dropped. And that <laughs> reminded me of your messy room, messy mind post, which oh, yeah. is absolutely how my mind works. If I am not 
dressed right, if my work environment isn't like clean, it doesn't have to be perfect, but if it's not clean, I feel messy in the head and I can't work. I'm not like one of those people who can just like throw 10 Cheeto bags in my desk and just code all night and let it become a slobby mess area. It has to be like the environment yeah. is a reflection of what's in my brain pretty much. Oh, uh, well, you know what? If you're going to go to an interview, you want them to take you seriously. So you clean up yeah. and you act professional. If you want to take yourself seriously, maybe you need to do the same thing for yourself. Absolutely. Which is why maintenance tasks are a necessary component of your schedule, even if they aren't individually high return tasks. So his solution for this is to have maintenance days and he just piles all of his maintenance tasks into one day. So on Sunday mornings, he wakes up and that's when he does the grocery shopping. That's when he cleans his entire house. That's when he'll make his meal plan for the week and also like pre-prep all of his lunches for the week. Um, he'll shave and do laundry and uh, review his like waiting list, all kinds of stuff. It's all just packaged into Sunday morning. And I like this idea a lot because I'm not the kind of person who will put maintenance tasks off. I'm the kind of person who loves to latch on to maintenance tasks because my brain likes a low mental effort task and my brain likes a task that I know I can accomplish very quickly mm -hmm. and maintenance tasks kind of fit both bills there. So it's a good procrastination type of work. If I were Daffy Duck without a duck bill, I would be slotting into that, those bills over there. Yeah. 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 But seriously, like, and especially with this move, there have been a zillion maintenance tasks. I'm like, oh, I need more command strips and I need a yeah, weird plug are. strip and I need to put this poster up and I need to set up this Bluetooth speaker. I've been to the oh, store man. Like every single day, three times. I know, right? And it feels good because I'm like, yeah, my apartment is that much more set up now. That's a task checked off the list. Lisp. Lisp. What is the word? I said lisp then. It's list. That's it the word I'm looking for. Yeah, with a T. With a T. <laughs> Two little lines crossed perpendicularly. Whoa. But those tasks, though they may make my apartment a little bit more pleasant to be in, aren't really that important because the work that oh. I really care about is, is running my business and growing it and helping people with their studies and all those kinds of things and going to buy more command strips doesn't really get me any further in that main goal. So grouping all of those maintenance tasks together, bundling them onto one day, that helps me get them all done, keeps me efficient, but also frees up longer, uninterrupted stretches of time for that true deep work that is really what I need to get accomplished. Um, and this also ties into something that I've been thinking about ever since FinCon, which is this idea of like theme days. And this is something my friend Mike Vardy talked about in a productivity session at FinCon. He basically said like he has different themes for different days of the week. Like Monday will be video script writing day and Tuesday will be filming day. Wednesday will be email and shallow work day, etc. And I haven't even become close to perfect at doing this, but it came to mind while I was researching this episode because I realized yesterday I've got reading in my morning routine and I try to read for 20 minutes to half an hour, but I've always... For a long time, actually, I thought that I was a slow reader, but I don't think that's actually true. I think that my reading speed gradually ramps up the further I get into a reading session. Yeah. And I think like, I think like reading is much like any other task where you kind of have to like warm yourself up and get yourself into it. And then once you get into it, 
you kind of like start speeding through it. You're engaged and you're focused. And the more intensely focused you are on the book, the faster you can go through it while still retaining comprehension. You've got to get into like flow state with reading. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think your reading speed is a constant speed. I think it is something that accelerates and it's very influenced by how interested in the subject material you are and how focused you are. Yeah. And if my daily reading routine is 20 minutes, I don't think that's enough time to really get into the flow state and read quickly enough, which is why it takes me forever to finish a book. Now that makes a lot of sense. So the thought that I've been having is, okay, I would like to retain this, you know, half an hour of reading time in the morning as part of my daily routine. But also, wouldn't it be awesome if I could get to a point where there was a day every week or maybe at least every two weeks where I spent the whole day reading? It was just literally just a learning day. That'd be cool if you could keep your focus going that long. Yeah, absolutely. Or, probably, or maybe a half day. a cap somewhere. It could be a half day. You know, it could be like a, a focus. It could be a day where I spend three or four hours reading but, and then yeah. doing something else. It could be like, you know, a reading and shallow work day. The morning is all reading and then I clear my entire email box the rest of the day and deal with bookkeeping or something like that. If I could become disciplined enough with my other tasks to free up a day for those kinds of things, I think I would be able to get much more into books. And I think there's obviously other things I can do to read more books. I did an entire challenge, which was very yeah. successful and fruitful, but, um, yeah, I think that just, you know, 20 minutes a day isn't enough time to really get into that flow state. So this was about maintenance tasks, but I think it, it speaks further to this idea of bundling one thing into one day. So you really can give it the attention and time that it needs. Yeah. And, um, one thing he also mentioned is that if a whole maintenance day is unrealistic, uh, try keeping like a separate list of maintenance tasks that is separate from your main to-do list or at least in a separate list if you use it like Wonderlist. So that way you have them somewhere else. They're not gunking up your main plans and getting in the way and distracting you. And then you have something you can reference when you have a chunk of time to dedicate to maintenance tasks, even if it's, you know, every couple of days or so. Yeah. Yeah. So that is six lessons cranked out. What's up? We didn't hit an hour, so it wasn't half an hour, but it wasn't an hour. That's, That's all true. I'm saying. That's true. It wasn't an hour. It's not like double failure. It's just sort of failure. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so the show notes for this episode can be found over at CIGpodcast.com slash 155. In those show notes, we'll embed the five lessons video for this book. So if you want five additional lessons... Uh, on top of the stuff you learned in this podcast episode, you can find that video right there. And we'll also link to some of the things we mentioned in this episode, uh, including the book itself. So if you want to check out the book, and I highly recommend you do, you'll find that link in the show notes. It'll be an Amazon link, which can help support this entire business, I guess. So if you want to support us, you can use that link. And I'll also link to both of those episodes I did with Chris Bailey. They're really entertaining, and I think they're a good complement to this one. So check those out if you're curious. You can also rate and review this episode on, or not episode, the podcast on iTunes. And the link to do that is in the show notes as well. So definitely do that if you like this show and we highly appreciate you if you take the time to do that. Lastly, if you want to find our favorite tools, productivity apps, resources, and even gear that you can use to make your educational experience even better, you can find over them over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. So I think that is all we got for this week's episode, right, Martin? I think so. Alrighty. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.